And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Time to talk money with Luke Smith from Envision Financial. Luke, good afternoon. How are you, mate? You good? Really well. How's lockdown treating you? Oh, barrel of laughs. Um, <laughs> two young kids and a dog. I'm having a great time. Of <laughs> course you are. Hey, I told somebody yesterday, I'm having the time of my life. I like nothing better than lounging around at home, drinking red wine, eating dark chocolate and watching Netflix. It's it's my favourite thing to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to find out why people in Sydney can't just stay home and watch Netflix. Like, it's it's not, we're not asking them to run through the desert or swim to New Zealand. Just watch some TV and eat some chocolate. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We're here today to talk about investment risk, and specifically we're looking at investment risk as it applies to superannuation. So I know every investment has some level of risk. So when we're talking about investment risk, what does it really mean? Yeah, I guess this is quite topical at the moment because of what's happening with COVID and the conversations around could the market weaken again. And look, that, that may happen, but we've seen it be quite resilient to this point for a range of reasons. Um, but when we talk about risk, I think an important distinction that a lot of people get muddled up is they use the term super is risky. And we need to take a step back and say superannuation is just a vehicle or structure that holds assets on your behalf. That's ultimately all it is. So I don't think it's fair for people to say that super is risky because what we're really talking about is What's in the fund and how are your assets invested? That's where your elements of risk will come from and that's where you can control whether something is very risky or very defensive. And the analogy that I use regularly on the show is if the speed limit's 100 kilometres an hour and you're driving at 160 to 180 in a 100 zone, could you talk your way out of the ticket? And most people say, well... Sometimes, and a lot of ladies say, well, back in the day, I probably could have. Um, <laughs> but that is, a, is, a, is an example of high-risk investment. It comes with high rewards, i.e. you get where you're going quicker. But if you do get caught, it can be quite expensive. In a similar vein, doing 40 kilometres an hour in a 100 zone is just as risky because if you think about doing that on Gungahlin Drive, you'd upset a lot of people banking up traffic then you'd probably be late getting where you're going. So that's an illustration that going too slowly can also be dangerous. But most people agree that if I say to them, do you normally drive sort of 90 to 110 kilometres in a 100 zone? They generally nod their head and say, yep, that's exactly what we do. And I find that analogy is a great way of illustrating the different ways that risk can be managed and implemented inside a portfolio and, and then it talks to, well, how do I feel about risk and what do I need in relation to my risk aversion? And a, a good measure for most people is to look back through the middle of last year when things were quite worrying and, and see how you felt. You know, if you were staying up at night, you were sweat dripping off the end of your nose, your hands are a little shaky and you're looking at your portfolio four times a day online, you may actually be investing outside of your true risk profile, which you know, it can be positive and negative just depending on which way you look at it. So when we look at uh, investment options, we often are given a choice between growth or income. Is one inherently more risky than the other or is it uh, horses for courses? I think it's really about looking at what's generating that income because you can have a growth asset that pays income. You can have a growth asset that doesn't pay income. 
So it's important to look under the hood, especially within superannuation, and get an understanding of what sectors you are holding and the weightings to those individual holdings. So what I mean by that is if you've got 100% of your super fund invested and you think you're a moderately aggressive investor, you might be running 30 to 40% in the Australian equity sector. You might be running 25 to 35% in the international sector. Now, the important distinction here is don't assume that the label of your investment option is in line with your value system or your perception of the amount of risk you're taking. And what I mean by that is the term balanced, as we've touched on in other shows, is, is a very fluid thing. Um, if I get on a, a seesaw with somebody that's half my weight, it's probably not going to be balanced. They'll be perched up in the air. And in a similar vein, you can't look at your balanced option, if that's what you have in your super fund, and assume that you think it's a 50% allocation to growth and a 50% allocation to defensive assets. You need to look under the hood. And that's why I say look at the assets that you're holding and the weightings of each sector. If you're holding more than 70 to 80% of your portfolio in growth assets, then you need to accept that you might be, in that analogy we used earlier, driving at 130 or 140 in a 100 zone. And similarly, if you've got 60% defensive, you might be driving 80 kilometres in a 100 zone. So understand what your asset allocation is and your exposures to the individual sectors within your account. The other thing that um, I guess people should keep in mind is that when we're talking about a superannuation fund, we're talking about a fund that is investing in a range of different equities and other investments as well. Mm. It's not just all in the one stock. So in a, in a, mm. uh, by definition, that fund is actually spreading the risk across a number of different investments. One individual share or stock in that investment portfolio might do badly, others might do well, but across the board, you're spreading the risk. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, again, it comes down to each individual person's tolerance for how much of their portfolio is in growth assets and the associated risk, either positive or negative, that you could see during something like COVID. We saw some very fast falls last year. We also saw a very strong recovery post the lows of March. So there's an indication of the quality of what you hold. But if you hold CBA in your own name and you hold CBA in your super fund, CBA as a company is CBA. It's not more or less risky if you hold it in your super fund. So that sort of come back to that distinction I made earlier about the difference between risk and the structure. I think some other things people should keep in mind as well is if you have six green apples, you're not necessarily diversified if you've got six of the same thing. So have a look in your fund. Try and avoid very large holdings to one individual asset. And as you touched on just now, make sure that you have an ample amount of diversification, not just across your fund, but also inside each individual sector. And what I mean is if you've got Australian equities, you might want to have a number of different listed shares so that you can target different areas. You might want to have a number of different ETFs or exchange-traded funds. You might have a tech exposure. You might have a medical exposure. You might have an exposure to the ASX 300, the ASX 20. You might have an exposure to infrastructure, property. You could have a range of different exposures across your portfolio. Don't just have one very large holding unless it is internally diversified. 
try and make sure that you're limiting your risk by looking at things that may be good and not necessarily selling them all, but looking to take profit when you see significant rallies in price and then using those sale proceeds to further diversify your portfolio so that you can limit the downturn should it occur and, and maintain as much asset value as possible. Now, a lot of people make an assumption, and I want to ask you if this is on the money or if it's misleading, but a lot of people make the assumption that if they're younger and still accumulating, they should be oriented more towards the growth end of the spectrum, whereas if they're older and closer to retirement, they should be leaning more towards the defensive and the income end of the spectrum. Is that assumption correct? Uh, I'd, I'd question the assumption by considering the two key things that most people say when they come into my office. So you're looking to retire? Yes, I am. What would you like in retirement? I'd like a really strong income stream to fund my pension, and I'd like capital growth to offset the effect of inflation because I'd like to see the value of my money stay level or continue to go up if possible. So if we apply that theory or that, that assumption, we're actually flying in the face of the two key things that most people want in retirement because if we become more conservative, we're then having less growth assets. We have more fixed interest and more cash. And as we all know, in the current environment, it's very difficult to get outperformance in the fixed interest sector. And terms like high interest bank account are a little bit of an oxymoron at the moment. So I think people need to consider when they retire, I. I find it hard to peg people's retirement date to their risk profile because I would argue that your risk profile is appropriate for you for the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years, depending on how old you are when you retire, because a lot of people like to see that sustained growth in their portfolio, and you only achieve that over time by having an appropriate amount of growth assets. You may not be as as aggressive as you were when you were younger, but I don't think you need to go and drive 40 in a 100 zone to use that analogy from earlier. Okay. Now, of course, uh, people, uh, you know, in many cases will simply trust their fund manager to make the right choices for them. How much investigation should people do into what's in their super fund? How how deep should their analysis be? Well, Because we're, we're not professional investors, are we, Luke, you know? No, no, not at all. Um, but I think people can have an understanding of the speed with which the car is travelling. If we if we keep it at a high level, it, it's frustrating for me when people come in and say, oh, I'm in this fund and it's done X and it's the balanced option. And you look at the underlying assets that are in that portfolio. And to give you an understanding of the importance of knowing how your funds are invested, whilst you may not understand all of the underlying investments, you can understand the weightings. And the analogy I use regularly is, if I've got a blue car and you've got a red car and they're exactly the same model and I'm doing 140 kilometres on the highway and you're doing 100, it's very difficult for you to beat me even though we're driving the same car. Now, in that analogy, we can substitute the car for the balanced option, for example, because it's important to understand what you're investing in, as we touched on earlier, and what your exposures are because... It's impossible for a balanced fund running 50% growth and 50% defensive to outperform a balanced fund running 80% growth assets, even though they are named the same. So I think people should just have an understanding of what's my total growth allocation. And I think if they have nothing else in the fund that they understand, that's a great way of knowing, okay, in times that are good, things will be all right. In times that are bad, 
what would that likely do to the value of my portfolio as opposed to something that's a little bit more defensive and then gauge that against how they feel through things like COVID and the downturn that we saw last year. Now, Luke, what should people consider when it comes to their risk profile and how we can uh, understand our own risk profile better? Yeah, look, I think understand what you can tolerate. Don't worry about what your friends do. Don't worry about what Jenny does, you know, three decks down from you at work. Understand what you want to try and work with and, and what you can tolerate. Some people can carry amazing amounts of debt. Other people are more averse to carrying debt and like paying it off. So look at what you need and consider your time frames. Because if you are a lot younger, then you do have a lot more time to be able to tolerate uh, downturns should they occur. So you could have a more growth-orientated portfolio and have higher allocations to individual sectors. Make sure that you diversify the broader portfolio, but also within the individual sectors. If I've got a massive holding of CBA and four or five other very smaller holdings in the same area, you might want to say, well, I'll take some profit out of CBA and then diversify that asset base. So understand what you do across your broader portfolio, but also then look where, especially where you're managing it yourself and you're not in a generic option through, say, an industry fund or a personal super fund, you could then look to try and isolate individual holdings that are getting a little bit uh, larger because of, of good growth and look to try and reduce those, not, not necessarily altogether, but just reduce the weightings to those because then you've got less of a reliance on one particular fund manager or one particular asset within your portfolio. How important is it to uh, consider the potential downside as well as you know running the risk of being blinded by the potential upside? <laughs> Look, I, again, I think it's important to keep it in context. Nobody likes things um, going south and you know, nobody could have predicted the impact of the market last year in relation to COVID. But again, if you consider that things do happen and if you look over time, you know, periodically we do have corrections of different sizes, you just need to keep in mind that taking into account your investment timeframe and horizon, have I got an appropriate amount of growth assets to help me on the upside, but I don't have too many that I could lose a significant amount of my accumulated profit if there was to be a wobble or a downturn out of the blue. So just, just try and hedge your bets on both sides. You don't necessarily need to be extreme at either end. Um, again, 90 to 1, 10 in a 100 zone, you'll, you'll generally be all right. Indeed. Can you tell us what are the key strategy tips when it comes to managing the level of risk? Look, I think before the ad break, we touched on you know, the importance of diversity. So make sure you diversify your underlying assets in line with how you feel. Try and limit larger holdings. If you've had something that's run away in the portfolio, that's fantastic. Sometimes taking a little bit of profit and reallocating into other areas can give you further growth going forwards and limit that potential loss if that one holding does come under pressure for whatever reason. Consider the tolerance um, for yourself and not your friends. What your friends do may not be in line with your value system and what you need. Um, I'd make sure you don't assume that balance is balanced. I'd make sure that uh, you understand what's in the portfolio and look at your weightings in relation to your total growth percentage. And that's a good place for people to start to understand how risky or how fast their car is getting driven. Um, control your income where you can because distributions can be sustained while prices may fall in relation to capital. So have a good income stream within the portfolio. And then have a combination of active fund managers and then also 
some index-based holdings or ETFs that are very cost-effective so that you can get specialised attention in certain sectors and then have diversified exposures to things like the ASX 200, the S&P 500 and some broader indices because the use of an ETF or an index-based investment is very cost-effective, it's very cheap and it gives great diversification. Um, And make sure that you review it because in times of, of strong growth, your asset allocation, if you don't amend it, may get a little out of whack and you may need to bring it back into line depending on how you feel and what you need. And just remember that because you are getting older, you don't necessarily have to leap to conservative investments and earn less income. Yeah. When you talk about active managers, what's the trick to selecting a good one? Because uh, the whole point of selecting an active manager is that you're hoping they're going to do better than just an index tracker, aren't you? That's exactly right. And I think, you know, the research shows that for an active manager to continually outperform, there are certain sectors where they can add a lot more value and they're generally the small cap sector um, and also the alternative sector. Um, But you can also find some standout managers depending on what you're trying to focus on and the area that they may specialise in. So consider them. I'd be looking at their historical performance, their performance against their benchmark and the composition of their return between income and growth. They're sort of three key things that people could look for and make sure that they're they're picking a fund that's right for them. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, picking a fund that's right for you is uh, the name of the game. Luke, if people want to get more information, where do they go? Yep, so 62604749. They can check out envisionfinancial.com.au. We've got the Knowledge Centre there. They can subscribe to that for free, and there's a, a library of information. We've got the podcast, The Strategy Stacker, Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify, and we've also got the YouTube channel Envision Financial Canvas, so you can subscribe to that and go back and look at over 100 videos of various things so you can focus on what you're looking at at the moment and watch it on the iPhone and limit, limit the amount of reading you need to do. Absolutely, and of course, while we're all still in lockdown at the moment, uh, fingers are crossed that uh, maybe we can see some easing of those restrictions next week. You never know your luck, Luke. You might be back in the studio. Oh. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Eh? Be a change. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably starting to get used to doing this at home, aren't you? Oh, I think there's a certain amount of excitement sitting in the studio that you lose, you know, with a, a jumpy castle behind you on the Zoom camera, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to normal sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. We'll see how we go next week, uh, maybe on the phone, maybe in the studio. We'll see what Andrew Barr says uh, on Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is he's going to make up his mind. Thanks very much. We'll catch you next week. See you next week, mate. Thank you. That's Luke Smith from Envision Financial.